Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We are back in the book of Galatians. You see it on the screen. Of course, we've been doing this since May, so welcome to our 11 o'clock service here at the uh, at the Windsor. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Christian liberty. We've now turned the page. We're now in chapter 5 of Galatians. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6, 1 through 6. And because we're in chapter 5, we're no longer in chapters 1, 2, 3, or 4, Paul is starting to summarize. And you'll see today that he's summarizing uh, so much of what we've talked about the, the previous week. So we won't bother to go into a lengthy summary. I can remind you, just last week, we were talking about the two covenants, remember? The two covenants. And we talked about some individuals, Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. And these were real people, but Paul also said they were symbols, symbols of the law as well as symbols of the promise. So we're going to be in chapter five today, beginning in verse one. Again, my message today is Christian liberty, Christian liberty. And we'll start in verse one. Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. But, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become an estranged from Christ, you have attempted to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That's, again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. You know, again, uh, over the last few months, since May, we've been traveling through the Apostles Paul to, speaking to the Galatians. And I hope you've been, been enjoying the, the, the sermon series as much as I have. I love preparing these. I, I love my weekly routine of figuring out what the Scripture has to say and how I'm going to present it and what Paul has to say to us today because this was written over 2,000 years ago. And you'll see today that Paul actually gets very, very practical. I love it when he gets practical because it allows us to be able to glean something from that and take these teachings and say, how does this apply to, to my love, my, my life today? Now, Paul uses the words, therefore. Therefore, remember that what we said in tongue-in-cheek? Tongue in cheek? We said when you see the words, therefore, find out what it's there for, right? Okay. Well, therefore actually is a summary statement. It, it means because of everything that I've said before, because of all of the teachings that we've had, therefore, this is how you apply it. So Paul is, is summarizing, and he's, he's putting it into very practical terms. And remember, he told us that before, that there were false brethren secretly bringing in a false gospel. And that, that should break your heart when you think about it. The gospel, remember, we said is, is good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. And to think that somebody would take the gospel, which is good news, and corrupt it to make a false gospel, to be able to tell them something that, that, uh, that wasn't what Paul was teaching, is it, it, horrible. In fact, actually what the false gospel is saying is that Jesus Christ is insufficient. 
He's insufficient. That his death on the cross, that his resurrection, that his ascension in heaven, that the Son of God coming to earth, that was still insufficient, that you had to do something in addition to that. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, beware of that, because if you do that, you're actually falling from grace. Be, be careful to go back to the law, because when you go back to the law, you have to fulfill all of the law, and you're still going to come up short. Paul reminded them that when he and Barnabas had traveled to Jerusalem, the apostles welcomed him and committed to Paul that he should take the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter was taking the gospel to the circumcised. Now, I'm going to take a little rabbit. You know what a rabbit trail is? It's where you kind of divert from the, tra the, the, the path. Well, I've already prepared this. So it's kind of a rabbit trail, but I wanted to take you down this path as well. And that is the idea that because Peter went to the Jews and Paul went to the Greeks, it not only makes it um, permissible, permissible to segment who your church's audience is, but it's also an advantage. It's, it's an advantage. So, for example, today in Central Florida and here in Orlando and around the area, well, we have churches that have decided to take the gospel to the Hispanic crowd. Whether they're in Spanish or Portuguese, they, they minister to those that speak a, a different language. And it's not only permissible, it's actually an advantage. Um, the other thing is that there are churches in the area that like to have uh, churches for, for young people. Uh, we were in a church at one time that, that did that. And, and it's fun because the music is loud and the people are kind of edgy. If you have a little bit of gray in your hair, they're going to look at you a little bit strange because it's really for young people, okay? And you'll see people with a lot of tattoos, a lot of ink on them. You'll see piercings. I was over at Publix this last week, and I was talking to a young man, and he had one of these piercings. This, this needle through his eyebrow, and it, <laughs> I don't have anything against it, but that, isn't that painful? I mean, I, I wanted to ask. It was kind of hard to talk to him because this, this needle was sticking through his eyebrow. But you see, there's churches that minister to, to young people, and, and, and it's wonderful. They're, it's not only permissible, but it's, but it's an advantage to them. When, when Carol and I were in a church in Nashville, we ministered to the unchurched, okay? Now, after they were for, there for a while, they were church, but we, we reached out, and our slogan was that we would do anything short of sin to reach those that haven't been reached, to be able to do that. And again, it was kind of edgy and kind of fun, but it was not only permissible, but it was advantageous. Now, here at the Windsor, if you look around, you'll notice that we don't do children's ministry here, right? We don't have a youth ministry, right? We don't have young people playing basketball in the parking lot. We minister to a different crowd, okay? But it's not only permissible, it provides an advantage. We have so much more in common. We're able to do traditional hymns and we're able to do things. And one of the things I do is I keep my sermon short. And I keep them short because if I go much longer than 45 minutes, you fall asleep, okay? So, so, so let's go back to the topic today, okay? We said that Paul was summarizing. That's why he says, therefore, okay? He's summarizing. He says that false brethren were secretly bringing in a false gospel. Remember, we talked about how the law was to be a tutor. It kept us under guard until Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of it. That was the, that was the son that was born under the the promise. Last week we talked about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Paul talked about, about two covenants. Now, now the one thing that the therefore says, Paul says, therefore walk in truth. Paul says this, he says, stand fast therefore. 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And the question is, who has set us free? What's well, Jesus Christ? It's Christ that made us free. Uh, we don't make ourselves free. There's nothing we can do. This isn't a 12-step program where you get set free, okay, by some higher power. This is the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah that died for your sins, okay, that paid the penalty that you couldn't possibly pay. He's the one that has set us free. You know, today people misunderstand and they think somehow this pursuit of freedom, which is very, very popular in the United States, means they, that they can do whatever they want to do. Whatever they want to do. And actually, for Christians, this has happened to them as well. There's a false sense of liberty. Just as there was a false gospel, there's also a false sense of liberty. And it's not liberty at all. It becomes, becomes bondage. Uh, this was the gospel, the good news, the true gospel that Paul presented. And then there was the false gospels that was presented by the Judaizers. Here with liberty, we also see that there can be a false sense of, of liberty. That, that the idea of, of the grace of God, the grace of God that sets us free is actually to be freedom from the tyranny of the law of having to earn our own way to God, of the freedom from sin and the condemnation, freedom from the penalty of sin and freedom from the power of the sin. In fact, some of those are on the back of your bulletin. You can take it home with you. Those are the, those are the things that liberty brings us and the freedom that we have. Now, Paul addresses this, actually, because there are some that take this opportunity to understand that we have freedom, and what they do is they cast off all restraint, Right? They decide there's no longer any law for them at all. They cast off all restraint. They, they sin with impunity. And it's a type of licentiousness. It's a, it's a liberty that's actually full, full of sin. Paul addresses this in the sixth chapter of Romans. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey... You are the one slaves whom you obey, whether a sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. You see, this is another type of bondage. Paul is saying that whatever you get into, whatever you decide to embrace, be careful because you can become a slave. You can fall yourself right into bondage again. Whatever you embrace can actually become bondage. You can become a, a slave to sin. Now, everyone familiar with addiction, for example, understands this completely. We have the freedom to enjoy a glass of wine, right? We have that freedom. I mean, the Bible says anything with moderation is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Everything's been given for our, us to enjoy. Uh, but we know that there are some people that enjoy their glass of wine so much that become in bondage, right? And it's not only wine, but it can be vodka or tequila, whatever adult beverage they prefer. It can, they become slaves to that, right? They become slaves to that, and they need to break that bondage because not only do they become slaves to it, what happens? It destroys them. And this is what Paul is saying. Now, to the Greeks and to the people in Paul's area, they were talking about different things than it affects us. They were talking about the law and circumcision and becoming Judaizers. That's not our impact, but there are still many, many things that we can fall into temptation and we can start going right back into bondage. Uh, Paul's emphasis to these Gentiles was circumcision. Um, the, they wanted to make sure that they wanted to, these Judaizers wanted them to observe part of the law, and they thought they could get away with observing part of the law without becoming legalist. But when we choose to walk by law, we must walk by the 
whole law. That's what happens. We, we end up getting involved. In, and this is why Paul says this in verse 3. He says, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So the practical part of this is we're not talking about circumcision, but we're talking about anything that we become slaves to, right? Anything that we indulge. Be careful when you do that because when we cast off or restrain, when we sin with impurity, when we get into licentiousness, uh, we end up in, in bondage. We end up in bondage. And, and, and this is our issue. We are generations removed from Judaism. Generations. Our issue is what Paul was addressing in the sixth chapter of Romans. It's a sin issue. It's a sin issue. It's not a legal issue. It's a sin issue. We can easily become slaves of sin. Sin has no power over us until we give it power. It has no power until we give it power. It can enslave us until we spend more time passionately in that which we don't need to be. That's when we come enslaved. It has no power over us until we start embracing sin rather than avoiding sin. In Christ, it says this, we are free from law's oppressive systems. We are free from the penalty of sin, and we are free from the power of sin. Remember that Christian liberty is not a license to, to sin. Uh, we're free from Christ, but we're not to live free indulging the flesh. So Paul says, be careful, be very careful with this. Now, I, I don't like getting ahead of myself, but next week, there's a great verse. Paul says in verse 13, which is our next week's sermon, he says, but you have been called to live in, in freedom my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to, to serve one another. I love that. See, the idea is our, our freedom is there to serve other people, to be encouraged with other people, uh, to be able to lift them up, not to be enslaved by the very sin that Jesus already paid the price for. Jesus spoke of freedom often. He said in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But for us, what does Christian freedom look like? For example, what's the practical? What are we free to do and what are we free not to do? What kind of movies can we watch? What can we watch on TV? What about the language we hear on TV? What about the what about we what do we eat and drink? What does Christian modesty look like? What does it modesty look like for young people versus older people? Is it different? Is modesty different when you're 18 than it is when you're 80? Uh, and I mentioned a glass of wine, so drinking in moderation should be okay. But what about smoking in moderation? You know, so for some Christians, that would be verboten, right? There's no way that you could smoke in moderation. But are, are there limits to our Christian freedom? Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In writing to the church of Corinth, Paul addresses the issue of attending meals in pagan temples. And I, and I like this because it's very, very practical for us. It really is. Because Paul talks about for other people's conscience sake. For other people's conscience sake. It's very practical advice. You know, talking about food sacrificed to idols, you have to understand the context of it. At the time when Paul was preaching and teaching this, uh, there were many pagan deities, very many pagan deities. The cities were full of pagan temples. And what people would do is they would bring livestock. That's how they offered sacrifices. They would bring chickens and goats and mules and whatever they had and, and oxen, whatever it was, and they'd bring it to the temple. 
temple and they'd give it to the temple priest as an offering and they would butcher it. Those priests would butcher it. They take some of the meat, some of the entrails, for example, some of the fat, and they'd offer it to their pagan god and dance around a little bit and they'd offer it to them. But the meat they would butcher and they would put it to the marketplace. So the people would go to the marketplace and everything there basically had been sacrificed to, to an idol. This was, this was the issue. This is why they were perplexed. They were, they were having problems with that. Now, I've been to Publix, we go to Publix, what, Carol, what, twice a week, maybe three times a week? I've been to Publix probably hundreds of times. Not once have I seen a section that said, this food sacrificed to idols. Have you? I mean, we don't, it doesn't happen to us, right? It, it doesn't happen to us. I've, I've gone to a number, of, I've been to all these, I, I've never seen anything like that. So we can still, however, read these scripture verses and understand what Paul is saying to us, right? Even though we don't have food sacrificed to idols because there are so many other things that we can, we can find. Paul says that everything is permissible. And he's saying that love limits, our love limits our Christian freedom. Our love for others is what limits our, our freedoms. Everything is permissible, Paul says, but everything is not beneficial or constructive, not either to me or to you as well. Our freedom in Christ must be balanced by our love for others and, then, and have a desire to build up and benefit others and encourage others rather than to, to bring them down. When deciding how to exercise our Christian freedom, we ought to seek the good of others before our own good. Now, I want to read to you, now that you have the background, this understanding of this food sacrifice to all, all uh, others or idols, uh, find out what Paul has to say. Paul says this. He says, eat whatever is sold in the market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you. Great advice, right? Eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this food was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. That's why my liberty is judged by another man's conscience. So if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks, right? That's why we give thanks to them. When we, when we sit down to a meal, we give thanks to the Lord for everything that he's given us, right? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. They may be saved. You know, and this is, this is very practical. You know, for example, in the United States, for some reason in the 1920s and 1930s, we had this obsession with alcohol. Obsession with alcohol. We, we passed a, a, an amendment to the Constitution to, to forbid any kind of alcohol in the United States. And it was the Christian temperance movement that did that. Well, it was rescinded because minds prevailed that why should, why should we limit our liberty? I mean, to have a glass of wine and not be able to do that, all it did was cause all kinds of problems. Well, the issue is, is that continues to be an issue in the United States, in Christian churches. When we serve communion here, we actually serve grape juice. If you are in Europe, you will not get grape juice. If you are in Africa, you will not get grape juice. You will get a glass of wine. You will get wine that you will serve. 
For conscience sake, okay, for conscience sake, we don't want to tell them that they're doing something wrong. And same thing for conscience sake, when they're here, they shouldn't be telling us you should be having alcohol because we want everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. There's no reason to ask the question when the question doesn't provide any true, any true benefit. So here's, the, here's, how, here's how the law of love comes in. If they tell you it was offered to an idol, then pass. Okay, not for your sake, but for theirs. Why? Because they're, they're watching you. So my question is, do you have a glass of wine for dinner? Fine. But if you're having guests, you can still serve the wine. But if one of your guests is an alcoholic, I would suggest you keep the wine in the cupboard, right? This is just common sense, right? We limit our liberty for the benefit of others. This is the law of love. Uh, if you don't have any problem with gambling, fine. Now, I don't have a problem with gambling, okay? Because the few times that I actually played poker and lost the money, I started crying. <laughs> you know, I worked hard for that money, right? Because I can't gamble. Because if I lose any money, now, they say if you go to a casino, how much money do you lose? All of it, okay? That's the idea. So if you, have a, if you don't have a problem with gambling, that's fine. You want to play a lottery? I don't care. You can do anything you want to, okay? As long as you don't have a problem with it. But if you have a problem with it, okay, don't go into a casino, right? If, you have, if, you're, if you're vacationing with friends and your friends have a problem with gambling, don't go on a cruise ship that has a casino because they will lose all of it. They will lose all of it. Stay away from Las Vegas. Paul says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Go for your godly friend. So I have to, in the time we have remaining, I want to tell you a little story. You like stories, right? True story. So how many people here have heard of the Daniel Fest? Heard of the Daniel Fest? A few people. Daniel, Daniel Fest. It's from the apostle, uh, the apostle, the prophet Daniel. So let me tell you a little story. So a few years ago, this is going back nine or ten years ago, um, churches um, decided that prior to Resurrection Sunday, okay, prior to Easter, they would reintroduce the concept of fasting because many evangelical Christians don't fast much at all. Okay, and fasting was a big part of the early church. It was a big part of Judaism. And the idea of fasting, okay, is to remember God, to get a little rumbly in the tumbly, right? Okay, to get a little, you feel a little bit of hunger, reminds you of God. And the idea is you spend more time in prayer. Instead of preparing food, you have paid time, time praying. So the Daniel fast goes back to Daniel and his friends, right? Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, if you remember the story in Daniel 1, they're transported from Jerusalem to Babylon, right? Nebuchadnezzar comes in, conquers uh, Jerusalem, takes these young men back to, to Babylon. Well, these are, these are bright young men, right? And they, they're, they're put in school. And one of the things they do is they get to eat from the king's table. And the king's table has food that was sacrificed to idols, as well as a lot of food that is not kosher. So Daniel asked the person in charge, he says, do you mind if we only eat vegetables and water? Now, he could eat a lot more than that, but that would make it easy, right? We'll just only eat vegetables and water. Well, for some reason, the man that was in charge decides, because Daniel's got favor, decides to allow Daniel to do that, and he does very well, does very well. In the 10th chapter of Daniel is where we get the Daniel fast, because Daniel decided to fast for 21 days. 21 days. And in our church, we fasted for 21 days, and Daniel decided not to eat any what was called pleasant food, pleasant food. The idea was processed, it was spent a lot of time, maybe lots of meats, very rich meats and stuff like that, any wines and stuff like that. Daniel decided not to eat any pleasant food, not to annoy himself, which means he didn't take a shower either, but for 21 days, and also not to have any wine, just drink only water. 
So Daniel does this for 21 days. So our church decided we were going to do this as well. So the pastor spent a sermon, okay, about, about four or five weeks before Easter and said, for if you'd like to do it, we'd encourage you to join the Daniel fast with us, and we're going to do this Daniel fast. And it's just, just as I described. Ple no pleasant foods, try to keep it easy, keep away from processed stuff. Well, this is, what happened was this, is that, is that people, people became maniacs, okay? They decided that they, they, they would search all of the stores, okay, in Florida, trying to find foods that didn't have sugar. Have you ever tried to find foods that don't have sugar? I mean, <laughs> peanut butter has sugar, cereal has sugar, bread has sugar, okay? So they were going crazy trying to find foods that didn't have sugar. And don't get me started on caffeine, okay? Because I had people coming to me as the pastor saying, did green tea have caffeine? All of a sudden, I'm a nutritionist, right? Does green, tea have, does, does green tea have caffeine? How would I know, okay? And this is what would happen. People would be going down the shopping center. They'd be at the Publix, pushing their little cart with some foodstuffs in it. Another person from the church would be coming the other way. They'd see them. Their eyes would get big. They'd turn around their cart and go the other way, right? Because they didn't want anybody to see what was in their shopping cart, okay? A little bit of legalism, right? And you have to embrace the entire thing. They became, they became obsessed. They became enslaved to the, to the rules and the regulations of the Daniel fast. Now, I got to tell you that we did it for a number of years. And after the second and third year, uh, things got a lot better. It, they really got a lot better. People started to understand. In fact, the pastor did just what I did from the stage and, and, and let the people understand that this isn't about legalism. This is about, about committing to a time when you spend less time in food preparation and more time with God, more time with God. So if they understand that's great. Now, I gotta tell you, one of my pastor friends decided that he was going to go on a liquid diet. Okay, that's good. People have gone on liquid diets before. His definition of a liquid diet is that anything that he could get through a straw. So he bought one of these Blendomatics. Remember, ever seen the commercials? You know, you can blend anything, put your cell phone in there, you can put batteries in there and blend it all up. Well, he, anything that went into the blender that he could get through a straw, he could eat. So he put roast chicken in there, he put mashed potatoes and gravy. Uh, for dessert, he put an apple pie in there and blended up, okay? And he's sucking this stuff through a straw. That, that was his idea, that was his idea. So hopefully he didn't get, become very legalistic in it, but that was his idea of, of the Daniel fast, of doing something easy. You know, my friends, in, in conclusion, I'd say this, is that often the Bible doesn't give us real clear-cut issues on what are real clear-cut guidelines on what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We, we got the Ten Commandments, but other than that, there's a lot of gray area, right? There's a lot of gray area on what freedom means. And the Bible doesn't give us clear-cut guidelines on what behavior is truly sin. So when we're faced with the gray area, there's two things we can always rely on. Two things we can rely on. Number one, do not cause anyone else to stumble, okay? So whatever you do, don't cause anyone else to, to stumble. If you've got friends that are against drinking of any kind, you don't need to flash in front of them your latest you know, six-pack of beer or your vodka gimlet or whatever it is that you like to drink. You don't need to do that. Just don't go there for their conscience sake, not yours. Don't cause, anything, don't cause them to stumble. And number two is whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it for God's sake. That's, that's the idea, is that we're here for a purpose. God has set us free. Because God has set us free, we're here for a purpose. We're allowed to do things and be able to give God the glory in everything we do. Amen?
You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.